Today is June 3rd. This is Verses in Flow. I'm Jennifer, and I am so glad you're here. So grateful to have you with me as we flow into this word today, because today, we might all need some hands on our back. We're going to encounter some challenging situations and conflicts as we have for really the past several weeks, such as a rebel who tried to overthrow King David, not Absalom, this is a whole nother rebel, a woman who saved her city from destruction, yay for the women, the fatal consequences of some of Saul's choices that David inherited. Actually, there's gonna be several cases of violence and death. Some of these stories are just plain wild. We're going to see some giants, some six-fingered folk, and some severed heads. And while these stories may shock or disturb us, they also reveal something about God and the people he chose to use. Today, we'll see how God dealt with his enemies and how he protected his people. We'll see how God used different people in different ways to help David in particular, a woman's wisdom, a man's courage, and a band of warriors who had hearts. There are lessons to be learned, and in one way or another, they point us to Christ. But it's up to us to have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to feel so that we can make those connections. Now, in the New Testament, we're beginning a new book today as we concluded the last of the Gospels yesterday with John. Today's reading from Acts 1 will introduce us to the early days of the apostles after Jesus' ascension as they chose a replacement for Judas Iscariot and await the coming of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that more when we get to it, of course. But for now, let's pick up the plot in the Old Testament where we left off yesterday, 2 Samuel chapter 20, verse 14, through chapter 21, verse 22. God's Word Translation Sheba passed through all the tribes of Israel to Abel, Beth Meacah, all the Barites were gathered together and followed him to the city. Joab's army came and attacked him in Abel, Beth Maacah. They put up a dirt ramp against the city, and it stood level with the outer wall. All the troops with Joab were trying to destroy the wall and tear it down. Then a clever woman called from the city, Listen, listen, tell Joab to come here so that I can talk to him. He came near and she asked, are you Joab? I am, he answered. Listen to what I have to say, she told him. I'm listening, he answered. So she said, there's an old saying, be sure to ask at Abel before doing anything. That's the way they settle matters. We are peaceful and faithful Israelites. Are you trying to destroy a mother city in Israel? Why would you swallow up what belongs to the Lord? Joab answered, That's unthinkable. I don't wish to swallow it up or destroy it. That isn't the case. A man from the mountains of Ephraim by the name of Sheba, son of Bichri, has rebelled against King David. Give him to me and I'll withdraw from the city. That's fine, the woman told Joab. His head will be thrown to you from the wall. Then the woman went to all the people with her clever plan. They cut off Sheba's head and threw it to Joab. He blew the ram's horn, and everyone scattered and withdrew from the city and went home. Joab went back to the king in Jerusalem. David's Officials 
Now, Joab was put in charge of Israel's whole army. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was in charge of the Cherethites and Pelethites. Adoram was in charge of forced labor. Jehoshaphat, son of Ahilud, was the royal historian. Sheba was the royal scribe. Zadok and Abiathar were priests. And Ira, a descendant of Jair, was a priest to David. David and the people of Gibeon. In the time of David, there was a famine for three successive years, and David asked the Lord's advice about it. The Lord answered, It's because of Saul and his family. They are guilty of murder because they killed the people of Gibeon. The Gibeonites were not a part of Israel, but were left over from the Amorites. Although the Israelites had sworn to spare them, Saul, in his eagerness, tried to destroy them for Israel and Judah. The king called the Gibeonites and asked them, What can I do for you? What should I give you to make peace with you so that you will bless what belongs to the Lord? We do not want silver or gold from Saul's family, the Gibeonites answered him, and none of us wants to kill anyone in Israel. The king asked, What are you saying that I should do for you? They answered the king, Give us seven of the male descendants of the man who wanted to finish us off. He planned to wipe us out to keep us from staying anywhere in Israel's territory. We will execute them in the Lord's presence at Saul's town, Gibeah. It was Saul whom the Lord had chosen. I will give them to you, the king said. But the king spared Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son, and Saul's grandson because of the oath in the Lord's name between David and Jonathan, son of Saul. The king took Armani and Mephibosheth, the two sons whom Rizpah, Aya's daughter, gave birth to for Saul, and five sons whom Merab, Saul's daughter, gave birth to for Adriel, son of Barzillai, from Maholah. The king handed them over to the Gibeonites, who executed them on the mountain in the Lord's presence. All seven died together. They were killed at the beginning of the harvest when people started harvesting barley. Rizpah, Aya's daughter, took sackcloth and stretched it out on the rock for herself from the beginning of the harvest until the sky rained on the dead bodies. She wouldn't let any birds land on them during the day or any wild animals come near them during the night. When David was told what Saul's concubine, Rizpah, Aya's daughter, had done, David went and took the bones of Saul and of his son Jonathan from the citizens of Jabesh-Gilead. They had stolen them from the public square of Beth Shean, where the Philistines had hung them the day they killed Saul at Gilboa. When David brought up the bones of Saul and Jonathan, his men gathered the bones of those who had been executed. Then they buried the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan in the land of Benjamin in Zelah in the tomb of Saul's father, Kish. They did everything the king ordered. After that, God answered the prayers for the land the giants of the Philistines defeated. Once again, there was a battle between the Philistines and Israel. So David and his men went to fight the Philistines, but David became exhausted. A descendant of Harapha named Benab, who had a bronze spear weighing seven and a half pounds, which he wore on a new belt, captured David and intended to kill him. But Abishai, son of Zeruiah, came to help David he attacked the Philistine and killed him. Then David's men swore an oath, saying, You'll never go into battle with us again. 
the lamp of Israel must never be extinguished. After this, there was another battle with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibekai from Husha killed Saph, another descendant of Harapha. When more fighting broke out with the Philistines at Gob, Elhanan, son of Jer-Oregim from Bethlehem, killed Goliath of Gath. The shaft of Goliath's spear was like a beam used by weavers. In another battle at Gath, there was a tall man who had a total of 24 fingers and toes, six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. He was also a descendant of Harapha. When he challenged Israel, Jonathan, son of David's brother Shimei, killed him. These four were descendants of Harapha from Gath, and David and his men killed them. So that concludes our Old Testament reading for today. But before we get into the book of Acts, let's just take a moment to explore and get an overview and profile of this book. So the book of Acts, which is also known as Acts of the Apostles and Luke Acts, is the fifth book of the New Testament, and it serves as a bridge between the Gospels and the Epistles. It continues the story of Jesus's life and his ministry, focusing on the birth and growth of the early Christian church. Now, Acts was written by Luke, which is why it's sometimes called Luke Acts. Luke, of course, the same author who penned the Gospel of Luke. It is essentially a sequel to that account. The book of Acts contains 28 chapters and is divided into two main sections. The first 12 chapters focus on the ministry of Peter and the early church in Jerusalem, while the remaining chapters follow the missionary journeys of Paul as he spreads the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. Now, as we read through the book of Acts, we're going to cover several key themes that will help us better understand the early church and the role of the apostles, the disciples, in spreading the gospel. Some of these themes include the Holy Spirit. Acts places a really strong emphasis on the Holy Spirit, who empowers and guides the apostles throughout their ministry. We're going to witness the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and see how the Spirit's presence transforms the lives of the believers. We're also going to see, as another thing, the expansion of the church. So the book of Acts chronicles the rapid growth of the early church as the apostles and other believers start to carry the message of Jesus all over the world. We'll see how the church overcomes persecution, cultural barriers, and internal conflicts to spread the gospel. Another theme is the inclusivity of salvation. Acts demonstrates that the message of Jesus is for everybody, regardless of their social status or gender or cultural background. We'll see how the apostles reach out to Jews and Gentiles alike, breaking down barriers and uniting people under the banner of Christ. And then as the fourth theme, the power of testimony. So throughout Acts, we're going to witness the power of personal testimony in sharing the Gospels. The apostles, as well as other believers, boldly share their experiences with Jesus and the transformative power of the Holy Spirit, inspiring others to believe and follow Christ as well. 
So as we journey through this book, we're going to experience some of the most dramatic and powerful moments in the history of the early church. And it's really, really a beautiful thing to witness. The incredible courage and faith of the apostles and other believers as they face persecution, imprisonment, and even death for the sake of the gospel. We're also going to see the miraculous power of God at work through signs, wonders, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And perhaps most importantly, we'll be reminded that the same Spirit who empowered the early church is still at work in our lives today, guiding, strengthening, and equipping us to share the good news of Jesus with the world. And that is good news. So let's discover together how the early church's story can inspire and challenge us in our own walk with Christ. Acts 1, Introduction In my first book, Theophilus, I wrote about what Jesus began to do and teach. This included everything from the beginning of his life until the day he was taken to heaven. Before he was taken to heaven, he gave instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Jesus ascends to heaven. After his death, Jesus showed the apostles a lot of convincing evidence that he was alive. For 40 days, he appeared to them and talked with them about God's kingdom. Once, while he was meeting with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for what the Father had promised. Jesus said to them, I've told you what the Father promises. John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles came together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus told them, you don't need to know about times or periods that the Father has determined by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you. Then you will be my witnesses to testify about me in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken to heaven. A cloud hid him so that they could no longer see him. They were staring into the sky as he departed. Suddenly, two men in white clothes stood near them. They asked, Why are you men from Galilee standing here looking at the sky? Jesus, who was taken from you to heaven, will come back in the same way that you saw him go to heaven. A new apostle takes Judas's place. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mountain called the Mount of Olives. It is near Jerusalem, about half a mile away. When they came into the city, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James, went to the second-story room where they were staying. The apostles had a single purpose as they devoted themselves to prayer. They were joined by some women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and they were joined by his brothers. At a time when about 120 disciples had gathered together, Peter got up and spoke to them. He said, Brothers, what the Holy Spirit predicted through David in Scripture about Judas had to come true. Judas led the men to arrest Jesus. He had been one of us and had been given an active role in this ministry. With the money he received from the wrong he had done, he bought a piece of land where he fell headfirst to his death. 
His body split open and all his internal organs came out. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows about this. They even call that piece of land Al-Qadama, which means field of blood in their dialect. You've read in Psalms, let his home be deserted and let no one live there and let someone else take his position. Therefore, someone must be added to our number to serve with us as a witness that Jesus came back to life. He must be one of the men who accompanied Jesus with us the entire time that the Lord Jesus was among us. This person must have been with us from the time that John was baptizing people to the day that Jesus was taken from us. The disciples determined that two men were qualified. These men were Joseph, who was called Barsabbas, and was also known as Justus and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's thoughts. Show us which of these two you have chosen. Show us who is to take the place of Judas as an apostle, since Judas abandoned his position to go to the place where he belongs. They drew names to choose an apostle. Matthias was chosen and joined the eleven apostles. Psalm 121, a song for going up to worship. I look up toward the mountains. Where can I find help? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let you fall. Your guardian will not fall asleep. Indeed, the guardian of Israel never rests or sleeps. The Lord is your guardian. The Lord is the shade over your right hand. The sun will not be down on you during the day, nor will the moon at night. The Lord guards you from every evil. He guards your life. The Lord guards you as you come and go, now and forever. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 18 Pride precedes a disaster, and an arrogant attitude precedes a fall. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you once again with hearts full of gratitude for the gift of your word and for the opportunity to explore it together. Lord, as we've started our journey today through the book of Acts and ambled through these other passages, Lord, we ask that you would touch our hearts deeply, helping us to internalize the lessons and the wisdom you have outlined for us. Lord, the faith and courage of the early church inspire us and we long to experience your Holy Spirit in our lives as they did. Fill us with your love, strengthen our resolve to share the gospel and make us a living testimony of your forgiveness and your tenderness and your mercy as we emanate your love to everyone we encounter. Lord, we are so grateful and moved by the reminder in Psalm 121 that you are our helper, our protector, and our keeper in every moment of our lives. And Lord, we will look to you for everything that we need. May we always turn to you for your guidance, for your strength, for your sustenance, and for your comfort, resting in the assurance that you are an ever-present God and you are faithful in every circumstance circumstance, situation, and setting. Father, we also ask for humility today. Humble us if we need to be humbled, as we've learned from Proverbs 16, 18. Help us to recognize that 
all we have and all we are, all we could ever hope to be is a testament to your grace and mercy. May we walk in humility, always giving you the credit, the glory, and the honor you deserve. Lord, we want to cherish the precious gift of life that you have given us, the resources, the skills, the talents, Lord, everything. We owe it all to you. And as we go about our day today, Lord, we ask that your presence be felt in the depths of our souls, guiding our steps and nurturing our relationship with you. Lord, may our lives be a beautiful reflection of your love and your grace, and may our hearts be drawn even closer to you. Lord, we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And our affirmation for today, all this hard work I am putting into achieving my goals will pay off. All of this hard work I am putting into achieving my goals will pay off. And our aphorism, I thought this was fitting considering we are in the story of David. And David, with all of his issues, is still called the man after God's own heart. Do not seek to follow in the footsteps of the men of old. Seek what they sought. That is all I have for you today. Thank you for being on this extraordinary odyssey with me. May the infinite love of the Father embrace you, the enduring strength of the Son sustain you, and the boundless wisdom of the Spirit enlighten you. You belong here, and we belong together on this journey. I love you, and if God says the same, I'll be right here tomorrow waiting for you.